I'm Allegra Levy, and you're listening to the Scout Archives, the place where I have the pleasure of introducing you to some of the most influential young people I know. For more information on today's interview, head to www.thescoutarchives.com. There you can find photo shoots with our guests, pieces of work they've shared with us, and many other surprises. See you there. During this interview, Jessie Madeira mentioned something that stuck out. She spoke about a young musician and prefaced it with, I hate saying up and coming. Have you only made it when other people know who you are? I don't think so. It was one of the most on-the-money things she said all day, and that's saying a lot, considering all of her thoughts and feelings spin out into the air like poetry. Jessie has always been enigmatic to me. She is observant and thoughtful, charismatic and funny. She always seems as though she is at peace, but there are intensely turning wheels inside her brain, wheels that will create some of the most beautiful words accompanied by a graceful piano melody. I have been lucky to say that I have known her for years, but this interview gave me even more reason to admire her. Her wit, intelligence, and unique take on the world makes me believe that if you don't know her already, you will want to. Whether she's singing with her children in her home or singing live on a stage, Jessie Madeira is certainly not up and coming. She has humbly arrived, and she is not leaving anytime soon. So read on. No. So pull up a chair and listen in as Jessie and I discuss how she expresses her wonderful humility and depth while being a mother, friend, wife, and artist. Hey, Jessie. Hey, Allegra. <laughs> how are you today? Great. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thanks for being here. Of course. How how was your day? What was your day like? Um, my day was uh, it was good. We had a yummy breakfast and lunch, and I scheduled um, a studio session for next week to finish some stuff. And I waited for my husband to get out of an audition, two auditions, and. That was it. I spent a lot of time in the car. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, it's all right. It's hot. All right, let's dive right in. Oh, would you like to tell our listeners where we are right now? We're in the Hollywood Hills near Beechwood Canyon. Love it. Sitting on a... Oh, yeah, sitting on a gecko-filled sort of... Lounge. Bed loungy thing next to a pool. It's a beautiful day. It is. It's breezy. It is breezy. Palm trees are swaying and the leaves are dancing and it's another Hollywood day. Love it. So you're a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. But when was the first time you recorded a song? What was your song about and when was this? Well, the first song that I ever, ever recorded. Yeah. Like Recorded, not wrote. I used to record songs on my mom's dictation machine. Hmm. Do you know what a dictation machine is? No. <laughs> is it like a cassette? Yeah, it was, it was cassette based. But it had a little, like it was a little machine that had a microphone that you take off of it. And really it was for people who, like doctors would dictate, um, reports uh, that they did on patients like memos yeah and then they would like put it on a tape and then somebody would take that tape and and type it out got it and transcribe it so my mom used to be one of those the transcriber a transcriptionist Mm -hmm. and she would bring her machine home and I would record songs on that and the first song I ever recorded was about Debbie Gibson oh wow the singer wow Mm -hmm. why I just loved her I was probably about my son's age, like six years old. Interesting. But you probably meant like a studio recording. Anything. Okay. (laughs) No, that's wonderful. I love it. All right. But tell me about the first time recording an actual song in an actual, Um, well, not an actual song, but in an actual recording studio. Well, I used to have a really big fear of the studio, and that kind of led me to start interning in a studio to try to like get over my fear 
So I interned at a studio called Eastside Sound in New York. It's a great studio on Forsyth Street. I started recording songs there just to like get my feet wet. And I, I don't, I mean, I always hated everything that I heard. You know, I never, I never really liked I'm getting to the point now where I'm liking what I'm, what I record. But before, it's like there was nothing I could do to capture the things that I liked about myself live. Right. I, I had a really hard time trans, transitioning from live to the studio. Like I would get into the studio and all the energy would be lost. Wow. You know? I would get mad. I like there were all, so many broken CDs. You know, like right. ah, this will never do. <laughs> <laughs> Piles of. <laughs> Um, so you never had the idea to, I guess, later when there was more technology involved, record one of your live gigs and put out an album that was like Jesse Lynn live? I did have, yeah, I had, uh, I had that idea. I had a couple of live CDs, or like live CDs that I kept to my own that I really liked. But I think... Um, in order to do that, I would have had to have my own engineer, and I didn't have that at the time. Gotcha. But that's something to consider in the future. Or maybe I'll re- after he after I like release this stuff, and and people are more forgiving of my faults, maybe I'll just put out the other stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, so when you first started writing music. What was the first uh, instrument that you took up? Piano. And do you write most of your songs on the piano? Yeah. All, like... Very much all. Yeah. Like 99.8 of my songs are written on piano. Did you think that you were more of a writer or a musician? Probably more of a writer. Gotcha. So would you write poetry and things like that? Yes. Yes. I wrote a lot. I wrote poetry before I considered myself, like before I was really writing songs, I wrote poetry. Hmm. The piano was always to accompany myself singing. That was the point of the piano. Like, I wouldn't really consider myself a pianist. Like every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, Jesse, uh, like I, I've got this part. I mean, we're looking for a pianist for this party, and can you do it? And I'm like... I mean, I could, but it's just going to sound like a lot of chords, <laughs> you know? I'm not really, I'm not like a jazz pianist or a, class, a classical pianist. I didn't really take a, a lot of lessons, and it was just to, to play along with my own songs. Mm-hmm. That's all I... When did you start singing live for people, for an audience, your own songs? Um, my own songs? I was uh, maybe like 25 or oh, something. Wow. I was so nervous about doing it and I had friends that were playing live and I would go see their shows and just like I had this knot in my stomach like oh man like that's what I want to do that's what I want to do but I was always so scared and then my boyfriend at the time when I you know right out of college he really encouraged me to start playing and so I played at this club called Bar 169 does that still exist? I don't on the know. Lo- Where is it? It was on the Lower East Side. That was my first gig playing my own stuff. Hmm. And I was I was platinum blonde, like bleach blonde, and I was standing up at a keyboard and I was wearing heels. Hmm. <laughs> like completely impractical. <laughs> but I, I fell in, I was bitten by the bug. I was so nervous, but I was bitten by the bug. Like right then, that's all I wanted to do was play live. Hmm. Yeah. And you were in acting school. Mm-hmm. You went to UNC first, UNCSA. Uh, yeah, yeah, North Carolina School of the Arts. I went there for a year and then transferred into NYU. And you went to school for acting, but was there a moment when you thought, I don't think that acting is for me, I really think that the music is my calling? The whole time. Oh. The whole time. So did you ever regret not going to school for music? Not really, no, because I, I think the acting really helps my live performances. Mm. There are things that I got out of, out of acting school that I might not have been able to get out of a really like rigorous 
serious program like Berkeley or something like that. Right. And although I have a lot of respect for musicians who went to Berkeley, they ha- and they have all of this. I don't. I mean, they're so educated, they, and they they can talk about music theory. My anything that I know about music theory is all just in me. Like it's all subconscious or. The only time I regret not going to school for music is when I'm in the studio and I have to tell other musicians what I want from them. Mm. <laughs> you know? Because I'll say something like, can you just give me like a boom boom? <laughs> and, I'll always, and I'm always using words. Like, can you give me like a sort of a, a yellow sound? <laughs> and I'm all, like, the lyrics are my landmarks. Right. And the, they're like not listening to my lyrics at all. You know, they're trying, they're just like, they have it all mapped out with numbers and I'm trying to say you know where I say go you know where I say go in that second verse and they're like what (laughs) that's so interesting but you do have a musical brain because you took piano and all that and you play instruments yeah I have a musical brain but I don't have the vocabulary do you think that you got a lot of inspiration from living in New York yes and being in school in New York yes yeah big time I got a lot of inspiration from the the feeling of the city, all the history and the kind of like the ghosts of in the city. Mm-hmm. I get a lot. I got a lot of inspiration from that, and I still like if I if I think about New York and I really focus on it or meditate on it, then it'll take me right. I can be there again, and I can feel feelings that I felt when I was there. And I, um, I mean, I don't know if you feel this the way I do, New York sort of, it, it amplifies feelings. I don't know if it's because thing, things are so close together, but God, like sadness is so sad and happiness is so ecstatic and mm-hmm. every, all the feelings, it's like, I don't know what it is. It's like maybe, maybe the, it's the energy flow. The buildings are so close together and the energy doesn't have a lot of things. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yes, at all? it makes a lot of sense. Because you feel so it's small. condensed. Yeah, yeah, it's concentrated. Everything mm-hmm. is so concentrated. And I really like that because I, the happy times I had in New York were like over the moon. Right. Like I could get into these times where I felt so invincible. Right. You're from Texas. Yes. What was it like to live there? Did you like it? Yeah. Well, we moved to Texas from Michigan, and I liked Texas a lot better than I liked Michigan. Hmm. Yeah, I liked I liked Texas. I liked driving in Texas through the farmland, and and Houston is a, a pretty big city. It's a it's a metropolis. People don't some people don't realize that. Like they will find out that I lived in Texas for a long time, and they'll ask me if I rode a horse to school. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but no, it's not like that. Um, yeah, Houston is is cool. There's a lot of art. Mm-hmm. It's a big art community. There are a lot of great restaurants. I guess my question when I ask that is, what what was your childhood like? When did music and writing become big parts of your life? And was that the result of Houston or your parents or how you grew up in some way Hmm. or school? I was born in West Virginia and then we moved out to San Francisco, then Santa Monica, then Michigan, and then Texas. So I was in Texas for my adolescence, but my my childhood, which is really when I started um, kind of secretly playing music. I mean, my, my family knew about it, but I didn't play for other people. Um, except one time I tried to get in a talent show by improvising. Oh. <laughs> I didn't get in. Aww. <laughs> oh, no. I, sat, I, I went to the audition and I sat down at the piano and I just made something up. I mean, right. I was like eight, so I didn't really have any chops. Yeah. <laughs> like, most people would go in with a sheet of music or, like, sing a song that already exists but I just had like like well I guess I'll just sit down and just like <laughs> totally flew by the seat of my pants and played some like awful awful thing I don't know um <laughs> but like I was writing little songs about things that moved me 
from the time that I was little, like about my friends or my family, mm-hmm. and our my childhood was kind of dis. I felt pretty displaced. There wasn't a sense of home, and so without sounding too cheesy. I guess the music was sort of like a home a home base or something. Mm-hmm. Like that was the one thing that I could... In yeah, head. like that's yeah. the one thing that I did no matter where we were. Right. After school I would go and I'd play on my keyboard and make up songs or like try try to teach myself stuff. Or I'd, I'd hear something that I wanted to sing and then I'd learn how to play it on the piano. And like that's what I did every day after school. No matter, you know... Like school was hot. School was not easy for me because I had a really hard time paying attention. Mm-hmm. I was not the person that had a big group of friends. I really felt like I fit in to that. Like, in, I didn't really fit in socially so well, and so I guess it was sort of a lonely thing. But I just like I the music sort of kept me company and kind of sent put me in a fantasy land. I could close my eyes and pretend that I was famous or that I was playing for like a big crowd mm-hmm. or whatever. And so when you moved to New York, you obviously write all the music yourself and you sing it as well, but you had to get a band to mm-hmm. play with. Yeah. How did you go about finding those people and oh did you guys God. ever write songs together or were you just the head of the entire production? Um, well... I, I love how I found this, the band that I had in New York because, um, so I, I was bartending at the Edge Bar uh, that was on 3rd Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue right next to the Hells Angels Clubhouse and we had our regulars that would come in and one day this guy named uh, Rob McCulloch, he came in with a guy named John and they were working on songs for a project that they were doing with this woman named Tawny and uh, I showed one of them I don't know what possessed me to do it but um, I might maybe I was drinking behind the bar or something and we're, got some liquid courage mm-hmm. and I gave them some of my poetry and they were like huh well you should come why don't you come by the studio like come by the studio what a, you know next week or whatever they were auditioning I don't know if they maybe had had a falling out with the woman that they were this woman that I told you they were working with, but mm-hmm. it was it maybe seemed like they were trying to find a replacement. So I went, um, I went and and like auditioned, I guess, for them, and they were into it. And I I started working with Rob on writing music for their project, and eventually I start I kind of played him some of my stuff, and he was impressed and he wanted to help me that kind of blew me away because I hadn't really had the nerve to play anything for for another musician like I played for friends and family and you but you always know like if you play for friends and family they're gonna be like oh wow yeah (laughs) but it's different when you play for somebody who doesn't have to say that right um so I was like oh my god he, he likes it oh my god he likes it and he basically like gave me his band and started singing harmony with me, which was all very generous of him. That was kind of that. And I used the years that I was in New York, that's, that's the band that I used. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> but you guys were called Jesse Lynn. Yeah, yeah, it was my music. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. What comes first when you write music or lyrics? It depends. But usually the lyrics have to come with the melody at the same time. Okay. Because if I, if I write the music first, a lot of times the lyrics just kind of come out as like out of the box. Right. I usually get like a melody. That's what I think of lyric. When I think of lyrics versus music, I'm thinking, what is the melody of the right. lyric? Right. And so if I and if I write the lyrics without the the melody, then I sometimes I have a really hard time putting the music to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I would probably need somebody else to do that for me. Hmm. You know? Yeah. When you moved out here to LA, how did the music scene differ from here than in New York? It's still 
Yeah, it's different. It's probably the stage that I am in here versus the stage that I was in there. Mm -hmm. There, I had a little bit, I was able to float around a little bit more and meet different people. So maybe that has something to do with it. But my friends would always come to my shows. Like here, there are a lot of people that I, I don't really count on my friends to come to the shows, other than like my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I, I do have friends that show up, but it's not a lot of, like most of the people that come to my shows, I don't really know that well. So it's different. And as far as like the musicians, I don't know, like you, your first love is the, is always Except band. in my, you know, I've got my husband, I'm not, I, you know. <laughs> we understand. You know that. <laughs> you know how people say that your first love is like the, you, you, you never, you're always sort of ch chasing the, what do you call it, chasing the dragon? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what it's called? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> um, so that's kind of what it's like a little bit. Although... I, like, I love the musicians that I'm playing with here, but there was something that was just so electrifying about the first band that I ever had, mm -hmm. because they, it was the first time that I'd ever heard my music played by other people or with other people, and that just like blew me away. Mm -hmm. And I played a lot more live shows then as well. Like here, since I've been here, it's all about like trying to f find the best recording recording like the best thing that I can put out and huh. I'm my I'm in the studio more here than I was like 200% more than I was in New York so I don't know I still have a really big space spot in my heart for the, the musicians that I played with right then do you think that your music has changed since you got married and became a mom yeah yeah. In fact, I kind of stalled out for a little bit because I was trying to f like find the heartbreak in me again because for yeah. so long it was like you know, so much sadness and there was like one relationship in particular that I was just kind of like bleeding dry <laughs> for inspiration. Mm -hmm. Like I, like so many of my songs are about like this one breakup that wow. I had with this one person. <laughs> But, yeah, I think I might have gotten a little bit too content, too complacent. Mm. And I didn't know how to write from happiness. Or I didn't know how to write about the things now. And I also had this huge fear about becoming a mom and becoming a wife that it kind of took my edge. Like, it would sort of rob me of my edge and my... my um, I'm not, I'm not that, it's really all, it's just, it's bullshit, like this idea that you have to be um, drunk somewhere in a dark corner, there, that's glamorized, Yeah. you know, and that's another thing about New York that I have to say is that the struggle is so glorified and glamorized. Yes, it is. And it's not so much here, and I had to transform my, I had to transform my way of thinking right. in a big way. Like to, like there there is inspiration to be found in like a beautiful day. It doesn't always have to be like rainy and depressed. Right. <laughs> I mean, I always was taught through, I guess, actors that I liked or any kind of artist that I liked that the more talented they are, the more effed up they are. And my yeah. mom was like, "You don't have to be a damaged person to be talented at being an artist." Yeah. But. But that's a hard thing to break it's so because hard to it's learn. so it's like hammered into our brains, yeah. like you know. And there, you can't. I can't take anything away from the Janis Joplin's and the Amy Winehouses and the, um, Kurt Cobain and all of these uh, Jimi Hendrix and all these amazing people that died young. But there are also a lot of like really amazing people who are still alive. Yes. <laughs> Um, so speaking of which, is there somebody that you've always been influenced by in the music scene? Willie Nelson. That is true. 
Yeah. <laughs> Willie Nelson is like when you say always, like from the very beginning of my life. Yeah. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Yeah. When you're completing a song, is there a sign that you look for when completing a song that you say, "Oh, I know that this is finished now." Ooh. There is, but I don't. What would I? How would I put that into words? Or I guess, what is the feeling that you get when you know something is finished? Obsession. Mm. Like, uh, well, but that, okay, that's not right, because <laughs> well, I'll be obsessed while I'm working on it. Like, the moment that I can't, if I get my own songs, like my own seedling, fledgling of a song stuck in my head, then I know it's a good song. Like if I think of an idea and I work on it and then I take a break from it and I come back and I can still sing the melody and I st- and the words like still like cause a disturbance in me, whether like a disturbance good or good or bad, mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad disturbance, but if it's it causes like a rumble in me still, then I know that it's worth working on and I know it's going to be something. Whether it's something to somebody else or something to me, that's all. <laughs> but um, how do I know it's done? I, I, if I'm willing to play it for another person, then it's probably done. Mm-hmm. And that's a definite. That's a definite feeling. But I, I've never thought about like how to describe that feeling of knowing of, of like, okay, I could actually play this for somebody else. Right. It might be like, kind of like the first time that I let Georgie, my son, like go to a public ba- bathroom by himself. <laughs> you know? Yes, I do. I like, understand. For like sure. I trust. <laughs> I can trust it. Like suddenly, I trust the song. Mm-hmm. Like I've raised it. Yes. And I can. I know that it will be able to like walk into a situation without <laughs> you know. <laughs> getting shit on its hands. <laughs> I love that. Um, I had a question that was rogue. I was going rogue for a second. What's kind of it, when you when you do play live? Is there a song that is there a cutoff point of how early you go in your I guess in your repertoire? Like what songs is there? Are there certain songs you won't do because they're too early on in your life when you wrote them? Oh, do you keep, yes. Do you keep your sets to the most Any to the latest s- things? Um, or do you play some major throwbacks? I the 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 youngest I will throw back to is probably like twenty four. Okay. I have some songs from my like adolescence, you know, fifteen, sixteen that I don't play in public, but um, but I'm kind of like piecing out, I'm, I'm selling them out for parts. Like, I'm currently like dissecting them and putting pieces of them in new songs. That's interesting. I love that. Although I did, one night I, we had some wine and I played through like the first, like you were asking about the first songs that I ever wrote. Those are probably like the first real songs, like when I was 16, 15 or 16. But um, I did have, like, I'll, every once in a while I'll play those for people just like for fun. But the problem is they're like seven minutes long. Because right. I didn't know, like, I had so much to say. <laughs> Allegra, I had so much <laughs> to say. <laughs> About Anthony in New Jersey, there was so much to say. Um, <laughs> what is it like to? Your husband is an actor, and he has to travel. Yes. Sometimes for work, sometimes for months. It's awful. It's the worst. It's the worst. Um. Well. Okay. Hold on. Is it? I write. I probably write more music when he's gone. So that wow. half a year or however long it is that he's filming right now for this TV show, after, like I, I have more alone time. We'll see what happens. Like now we have another baby, you know. Um, but 
while my son was at school or like after he would go to bed and there's nothing there's nobody around to, yeah. yeah there's no gravitational pull to like there's no reason to like go lay in bed with somebody and I'll just sort of like wander around the house and make up songs and somehow I turn I've turned that period of time that could be a really lonely time into like this is time for myself mm-hmm. and I've always really liked having time for myself right. the thing that's hard about it of course is is the taking care of the kids mm-hmm. or yeah kids now kid then kids now mm-hmm. <laughs> that's gonna be interesting but we'll see you know I mean writing alone like being alone the alone that aloneness is how I started in the first place mm-hmm. so I'm kind of familiar with it and it's a good like it's a I see it as a positive thing I always really liked being alone mm-hmm. um, like even when I was a kid I would so, sort of just rather be alone it wasn't very often that I was like crying or upset that I didn't fit in I kind of thought there was something wrong with everybody else <laughs> love it <laughs> love that you know? oh you're so true to who I, you are aren't you <laughs> I'm like uh, whatever they don't get it <laughs> um, is there a part of your childhood or your early adolescent experience that you want your kids to experience that you're very adamant about them experiencing or le- like that you do not want them to experience at all when you, you become a parent there's so much that you don't want your kids to experience mm-hmm including a lot of the things that maybe made, you know, gave me some thrills or some happiness. I'm like, no, not for my kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> he doesn't need to do that. Um, no, but things that, like, I would want him to experience, I would want him... I want him to know... I. He's very different from... My older son is very different from the way that I was mm-hmm. um, in that he's only gone to one school and he will be at that school for as long as the school will take will go and then he'll go he'll be with the same people right he's more social he's more like grounded but I do want him to I want him to know that aloneness that we were just talking about like I want I want him to know who he is I think that's that's probably the most important thing in life because so because so much stems from that from knowing exactly who you are mm-hmm. so that things can be done on purpose i worry about all these game like the game systems and the tv and um i think like quiet quiet time is a really good thing for kids just being alone in a room maybe there and there's some paper lying around and or your toys and like acting things out and that's all that's imperative and that's being lost Mm -hmm. that's going away like kids come directly home from school and they're I mean you have kids with like actual iPhones that blows my mind that kids have stuff like that now don't what? you think it's important? Oh, I completely do. I don't. I don't like to come home from school and and be and, a kid and go outside and do things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I didn't have a phone until I was way older than even all my class when my classmates had a phone. And I also was. Like Were you an mad old, about that? Or did you did you yes want one? No. I mean, I wanted one because I thought I would be cool with one, but then I'm glad I didn't have one until when I had one. I and my parents were super adamant about not having me. So smart. They, like, scheduled my TV times. I was only allowed to watch TV on certain days or whatever. Um, it's and, great. Yeah, because they just wanted, like, imagination and all of that kind of stuff, which is important. Yeah. I mean, my phone is, like, one of the worst things to ever happen to me. Yeah. Oh, okay, I agree. <laughs> Facebook, sure. one of the worst things. Mm-hmm. I, I've probably, like, if I added up all the time that I've lost, like... That, I could have been writing something <laughs> on fucking Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't need to get dark, but okay. 
how do you feel about being a mom raising your kids in um, America today? Uh, well, it's a good question. So I did, I found out I was pregnant right before Trump was elected. Good. <laughs> good. Um, hmm. Oh, we... All we can, I think that, that, um, I don't think that we're going to become a dictatorship or something like that. Um... So I'm not worried about that for my kids. That's a lie. Sometimes I worry about mm-hmm. that for my kids. There's just going to be an endless string of Trumps in the office. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. I I kind of I kind of have to. I'm such a worrier by nature. Like I wake up in the middle of the night, panic kind of person so I kind of can't I can't comment really on that too much because I don't I've I had to shut off the news Mm -hmm. during the pregnant during this pregnancy because I couldn't stand I it was driving me crazy right it's hard to know what what to expect I think we just do we have to do the best as parents all we can do is try to raise our kids to to know who they are like we were talking about and just raise the best versions of these souls that we can raise and have emergency supply bags (laughs) what can you possibly do i mean we who knows what's gonna happen next week uh or tomorrow or whatever or whatever i mean are we gonna be at war there's no way there's no way to like to prepare for any of it all right hey everybody it's allegra i'm taking a little bit of a break here to let you know that you can find jesse at her website www.jessielynnmadera.com and you can also follow bella mcclayton's at their website www.bellamcclayton's.com Jessie is also on SoundCloud. You can find her there. And she is also on Instagram at Jessie Lynn Madera. I hope you guys are enjoying the interview so far. And I will catch you at the end. So, okay, on a lighter note then. You then created Bella McClayton's. Mm-hmm. The name is from your grandmother. Yes. And why did you transfer yourself? To that title, um, I thought it would be a, f- a fun distraction from my solo work, <laughs> from your own self. <laughs> I, I thought it would be fun to have a project that was another name, mm-hmm. and I all I really I just I thought it was such a great name, and uh, but I'm not. It's not like I. I'm not the type of person that could pull off changing my name to such a degree and then expecting people to call me that name right 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 (laughs) like I am now fabulous Fustova (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I'm not I'm not really like a a wig sporter sure um no you know nothing not taking anything away from the people who can pull that off it takes a lot Mm-hmm. of something that I don't have <laughs> but um, yeah I couldn't I wasn't going to call myself a different name but I I kept like getting I kept having her name my great grandmother's name Belle Clayton Belle Clayton like for years I was like what am I going to do with this name and Belle of course is a beauty and then one day I'm like I wonder if Clayton means something and so I typed in Clayton 
and there was a definition of it that came up on Urban Dictionary that um, they somebody wrote on Urban Dictionary, Mr. Perfect. If you hmm. call somebody a Clayton, he's a Mr. Perfect. And so that, all of a sudden, it was like the whole concept unfolded. Wow. Beauty and the Mr. Perfects. And so that project became all, like they're all duets with different guys. Love it. Like my, I've got my husband on one. Um, John Hawks, the actor John Hawks is on one. Um, and are they singing with you as duets or is it also... But do you also have like a is the writing process with them as well? Not so, so far. I'm just writing the songs, and they sing it with you. Yeah, it's okay. really fun to write songs when you know somebody else is going to be singing with you. Right. That's like one of my favorite, favorite, like most inspiring exercises, is to hear, to hear a voice that I really like, and then write a song that I think will be perfect for their voice. Mm-hmm. Um. And so far, it's wor- working out pretty well. Um, like, the one with my husband is amazing. John Hawks is amazing. And then um, I also did a song with this really incredible, I hate to say up-and-coming musician, because it's like, are you, have you only arrived when everybody knows who you are? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, <laughs> but um, uh, a young, he's on the young side, meaning he's younger than me, so he's a child. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he's one of my dear friends, uh, um, Joel Taylor. Since this project is kind of a lot about collaboration, I have a collaboration question for you. Um, so you worked with your best friend, Nell Tier. Yes. On your music video for The River, which yes. I told you I watch it. I'm an avid watcher. That's music <laughs> What was it like to collaborate with someone that is so close to home on something that was so close to home? <laughs> and also, how much involvement did you have and how much trust was involved in, you know... A ton of trust. Well? A ton of trust and remarkably only one disagreement. Mm. Can we know <laughs> um, what it was about? Yes, and I lost. Oh. Um. <laughs> did you now? Yes, but it's it might be a good thing that I did because I... I was born in 1982. I was plopped in front of the tele from MTV in front of MTV. Mm-hmm. Like those are like my first memories. Are watching music videos, and so my music video sensibility is sort of stuck in the 80s. Love it. It's very dramatic. <laughs> Lots of shitty special effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I had this idea. <laughs> I had this idea and I fought for it. I fought for it. Um, with claws, I fought for it. Of there being like people <laughs> in the background, like ghosts, that like were watching the dancers. <laughs> but I, I could see it in my head that they that you could just sort of see faces in the dark. Hmm. Like they, you wouldn't be able to make out um, uh, their characteristics or and Nell and her DP um, this guy named Jeffrey Carolyn they were they were sort of trying to tell me like look that's gonna be really difficult (laughs) (laughs) to pull that off and then not make not have it look horrible you know and I've had I just was like I had it in my head and I like needed to have it and was like it's my song and we gotta have these faces and thank god I was talked out of it and thank god I had Nell to do what she does best um which she directed a beautiful video and she choreographed it and mm-hmm. I um yeah so the answer to I what was the question again? Of course, I get um, just what was it like? How much trust was okay. involved? Okay, okay, so a lot of trust, because I had to give up my my song, my precious idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the end, thank God I did. So a ton of trust, and amazingly, we only fought one time. That right. that's amazing. 
because you know it, you never know <laughs> right <laughs> what did the water birth teach you Ooh. oh my god um that I'm capable of marvelous things they, I, that I'm capable of more than I could have ever imagined like I'm more confident in my own my threshold for or I don't know my, my pain, pain tolerance pleasures. and my mentally and physically because mm -hmm. There was nothing that, like at that point, at the point when it really started to hurt, um, there was nothing that I could have done. There was no way to like choose to make it stop. Right. So there's a real mental thing. There's like a, there's a mental endurance as well. Like an, an acceptance of your current situation. And yeah, I guess it's just like, yeah, acceptance of, oh, I guess, yeah, it taught me to, like, trust my, myself, that I'm, that I'm capable of a lot more than I thought I was capable of. What do you hope that your music accomplishes? Is there a goal ever in your artistry? I think I'm, I'd like to be like a heal a healing place. I would like the music to be sort of healing for other people. I would like it to serve some sort of good, like a greater good, something that's bigger than, than myself. You know, like just to have it to have it matter to somebody, like on a on a deeper level. And maybe, and I'm not talking about like the sex songs. <laughs> Think of you know, feeling. I know. I guess yeah, maybe it could. <laughs> it could like, but I'm hoping I'm hoping to write songs that, like, I want to get really specific about my own experiences. More so, like in future songs, more so than I've been able to in the past, and have it like I know when I hear. Like, um, like Ray LaMontagne, his first two albums, they really did that for me. Like, they were my companions. Mm -hmm. And then Patty, Patty Griffin, um, her album, Living With Ghosts, it was a companion through, and Joni Mitchell Blue. Like, those are, those are like, friends. Right. Like, longtime friends. You know, they're not, it's not just, um, I don't know, some, some albums are, kind of like like drug buddies or something mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like yeah. like uh, some like a friend that you just kind of party with and then you can't even remember their name a few years later then there are those albums that they were that these they were like the friends that you called in the middle of the night people that would like do anything for you and it's amazing how an artist can make music that will make people feel that way you know Joni Mitchell has no idea who I am and Ray, Ma Ray LaMontagne has, has no idea who I am. I met Patty Griffin once, but she has no idea who I am. <laughs> um, and Willie Nelson, like those, like Chris Christopherson, like those writers, like they write music that like, you feel like you know them and they know you. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's miraculous how that happens. I don't, I don't really, I, I don't know. Robert Earl Keane is another is another writer who just like he writes these stories with such specificity that you feel like you experienced them and like on when I on my deathbed when I'm like you know how old will I be hopefully in my 90s um shoot for that but uh, like hope I I might like think about a song that Robert Earl Keane wrote and and feel like that was one of my own memories right you yeah. know totally I might feel like I like I know what it's like to um, be in 
the song like A Case of You by Joni Mitchell sitting at the bar drawing on a coaster with the blue TV screen light. I mean, who hasn't been there? Mm-hmm. Like sitting alone at a bar and think and trying to figure what the f- out what the fuck is going on in your relationship. Love it. Um, this is the last of my serious questions, then I get to my fun questions. Okay. Um, can you describe the first time you fell in love and what it felt like? Hmm. Yeah. The person who, like, really got me... Because I had, like, I, I said I love you, and I had, like relationships that were kind of that I thought were kind of like love you know when I was a teenager but then when I was like 17 or 18 um like I I remember looking into this person's eyes and the earth actually did shake like everything and everything around was like I didn't even, for that, that was the first time that I'd ever experienced looking into somebody's eyes, like somebody that I didn't know, and, and it actually changed the geography around us, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it was a complete disaster, and I, like, I was just shredded by the whole experience because he he was older than I was and also had different different ideas about what he wanted out of life and so that wasn't like I, I left to go off to college to study acting and there were like talks about him coming with me but that it wasn't going to happen so the whole the experience of my first love was like I remember thinking thinking about like my grandmother and wishing that she'd I and wondering if she'd ever experienced what I was experiencing because it was so big and so like devastatingly uh, joyous yeah <laughs> you know and like having this it was all just so much bigger than I than I was at the time and so I remember like one one night after like a particularly wonderful um, session <laughs> of being together um, that I was like God I wonder if my grandma ever experienced this and I wish that she would have before she passed over like she might have been alive at the time but that's a weird answer isn't it no okay it's um very thoughtful <laughs> too thoughtful no I like it <laughs> you're like what it's very happy about? but it's also so- kind of sad it's realistic I would say I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay, Jesse. Uh, well, I, I mean, like, every once in a while you hear about somebody who marries their first love. And I, I, that might take, like, a very, the stars must have to align in a certain way. And that must take, like, a really two exceptional people the circumstances are have to be exceptional because when you're bound to fall fall in love it's it's some point in your early life right and we grow so much we we're always this our society is always focusing on like this first quarter of life like it's the most important like every everything's about being young and all the models are young and the actor the big actors are young and the the radio artists are so young it's like but what what do they have what do they have to say you know like there's so 
we're, lo- we're looking at a life that's this, hopefully, this long and focusing on this part of it. Like, right. if this is the end-all, be-all, and then everything else is shit and doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, there's this whole... The first love is bound to crash and burn, is what I'm saying. <laughs> wow, thanks, But Jessie. no, but thank God. You know, like... Oh, of course. There's a, yeah. Look, if I would have stayed with my first love, I would be... I I wouldn't be pursuing music. I seriously doubt it. You know, I'd be living... I wouldn't be living in Los Angeles. I'd probably be in Texas. And I would probably have, like, twice or three times as many kids as I have now because I seem to be really fertile. (laughs) Uh And if I don't, like, you know... (laughs) rain that in mm-hmm. I, I'm in Get trouble out of control. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know he he wasn't the right person for me yeah but god like you gotta like really love somebody who's wrong for you I think yeah <laughs> in order to in order to come to bounce back from it into the other direction cause if I had if I hadn't been with some, he was not that great to me you know and if I hadn't experienced that, just because of who I am, I guess I needed to learn some lessons from that. Like, if I hadn't experienced that, then I probably wouldn't do, I wouldn't have found, like, the person who is so great for me. Like, my husband is great for me. Yeah. You know, he would, he would never do the things that this other person did. You know, right? Um, not that this other person like there was no like violence or anything. It was like mental violence. You know, it wasn't physical violence. Yeah. It was like just sort of. But that, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. My first love. What your experience is. Oh, God. My fun questions for you are, if you could pick a song that represents, or that is representative of each family member of yours, your two sons and your husband, what would it be? It doesn't have to be one of your songs. Wait, um, you mean like individually? Not Mm -hmm. Not individually? Individually. Okay, well... My firstborn is easy. His song is <laughs> Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Mm. That's his favorite song. And that is so him. That's so him. Um, and let's see. My second born, the song that, like, that I was listening to like preparing for the birth and also a little bit during the birth was Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that will forever be my song with Jack and my husband hmm there are so many Well, our, our, probably, like, our, our song, our, our song is, is by Randy Travis, it's Forever and Ever, Amen. Hmm. Do you know that song? No. It's very, it's very much us. And also there's, um, Peter Gabriel has a version of a song called The Book of Love. Um... And that is very much my relationship with my husband. Like it starts out, the the book of love is long and boring. No one can lift the damn thing. It's full of charts and facts and figures and instructions for dancing. But I love when you read to me. And you can read me anything. Mm. 
Like love, so nice. like love can be kind of shitty, but God, somehow you make it so interesting. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's always like a, I guess there's a happy spin on. Yes. It. Yes. <laughs> Do you believe that you were born? You were supposed to be born in a, a different era. Huh. I don't. I think I probably would have been murdered if I'd been born in any different era because I'm too I I might get some flack for saying this but I'm not one of those I'm not like the type of person at this so far in my life who knows what I'll be tomorrow or next year or whatever but um, like I don't I've never really felt the need to like wear something that says like I'm a feminist or I don't I've never felt the need to like wear girl power on my clothing because I've always just sort of felt like I am maybe I know there's a lot of you know entitled is maybe not the right word but no it's probably exactly the right word entitled I feel I've always felt entitled to equality mm-hmm. and I and I have not other than like a few relationships in my life in general I've never felt less than anybody or like I'm having to overcome anything to be to be heard like if 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 I am with somebody who doesn't like a man who who treats me like like I'm less than him I sort of think that there's something wrong with that one person you know Right. so this like idea of entitlement might have gotten me in big trouble in any other time right right you know because I I probably wouldn't have a whole lot of friends Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at least I wouldn't have a whole lot of male allies right and male allies have played a really big part in my in my life you know like I I love I love men I really love men um for some reason I just love men Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think men are so great (laughs) and I think women are so great but I like some of my best friends have been guys Mm -hmm. you know yeah but I might not have been able to have those guy friends in another time and I've needed, I've really needed those guy friends in order to push my music forward because my band just, like in New York, happened to be all men. And a lot of the, I love, I love to work with female musicians, but the majority of the musicians that I've worked with out here are men. And they're really great, they're great people. Like, can, I can't imagine if I, like, wasn't allowed to do what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lastly, well, well, but the twenties would have been fun. Okay, but anyway, okay. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's enough. It was seventies, but yeah, you seem I like you'd be you... so seventies. I, mean, I am. So, I am sort of seventies, but I give you these long answers to these questions. No, I love it. Okay. Um, this is a short one. You'll be able to answer this in a short period of time. Um, can you, if you could describe yourself in a haiku, what would it be? Oh, God. On the spot. Oh, you're in trouble. Is this what I was warned about? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, shit, haiku. Hey. What's the formula for a haiku again? Five, seven, five. Syllables. Are we so late? You guys will have exactly 30 minutes to get ready in five minutes. Okay, well, we're almost done. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> five, seven, five. The hummingbird stops. Takes a look around the place.
flies away. Until. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so poetic of you. Thanks. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we repeat that? The um, hummingbird stops. The hummingbird stops. Takes a look around the place. Takes a look around the place. Flies, flies away, away until. until. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, well, thanks, Jesse. Thank you, Elena. This Alekha. was wonderful. Thanks. It was I'm glad really I got fun. To ask you these questions. Oh man, I, I'll go write a song about it. Oh, wow. I'm so touched. I'm glad that we, um, it's weird that I like have known you for a long time, but I have not really known all about you, you know? Well, I hope this is, yeah. Informative for me. Yes. Super informative. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. So informative. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. It was so much fun to finally interviewed Jesse. I've known her for such a long time because of my friendship with Nell Tier, but I never actually got to pick her brain about certain things that I've always wanted to ask her about. So I'm glad that she agreed to do this and was so excited about it. I want to thank Jesse for giving me her time in the middle of being an artist and having two kids and a new baby and a husband and a life in LA. <laughs> and spending the time talking to me about these things. I just think she's so intuitive and thoughtful and has so much to say. So I hope that you guys enjoyed. Please be sure to follow her on her websites, jessielynmadera.com and bellamcclaytons.com. And you should also watch The River, the music video from Bella McClayton's that was directed by Nell Tier, and Jesse is also in it and sings it and wrote it. It's on Scout Archives right now, but it's also on YouTube, it's on Vimeo, so definitely check that out. It's a beautiful music video. I watch it all the time. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening again, and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks.